appreciate you guys braving the weather today to be here with us. Um, if you're new, my name is Nathan Parikh. I'm blessed to serve as the discipleship pastor here at Hallmark. I'm excited to be walking through uh, the hallmarks of Hallmark together. Uh, last week, Pastor John kicked us off with our foundational hallmark, which is being biblically driven. I'll be praying for Pastor John uh, along with several other members uh, of our church and another church in Georgia. Uh, they are in Cambodia right now. They've been having a great trip so far. I saw a video of Chad uh, eating a spider, so things are going really, really well. Um, but if you missed last week's message on what it means to be a biblically driven church, I would encourage you to watch that online, either on our website or our YouTube channel. But today we'll be walking through our second core value, which is being personally involved. And so if you would, open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 is where we will be today. Um, if you've ever been on an international trip, whether to Cambodia or Kenya, anywhere overseas, you, you know that those flights are extremely long. You're crammed in there with a few other hundred people for a very long time, and you're just stuck on that plane for what feels like forever. But one thing, if you've ever done that type of travel before, um, one thing you probably realize pretty quickly is that even though you are in close proximity with a lot of people, you don't really experience togetherness with those people, do you? Usually you want to get as far away from people on an airplane as possible. If you're anything like me, as soon as you get on the plane, you want to kind of check out, pop in your earbuds, and do your own thing, just kind of let me be. See, when we're on an airplane, when we fly, we are associated with the people that are on that airplane with us, right? We're all um, going to the same destination. Uh, we're going to experience uh, the same turbulence, like Stefan said. We'll experience the same delicious food. Uh, not really. We'll all experience the same announcements. We're all going to go through the same process and land at the same place. Um, but how much community... Have you ever really experienced with your fellow passengers? And the answer to that is probably none. We associate, but we don't participate in each other's lives. Which, for an airplane, that's okay. But I think for a lot of people, their experience in church is also very similar. You show up, and we're associated with the other people that also happen to be in the same building. We hear the same uh, great announcements from Mr. Jimmy, uh, we hear the same message, we sing the same songs together. Lord willing, we're all headed to the same destination. I'll let that sink in for a second. Lord willing, we're all headed to the same destination. We associate with other people, but we don't necessarily participate in the lives of others or allow others to, to participate in our lives. We haven't experienced what the Bible calls community, what we call at Hallmark being personally involved. One of the reasons why being personally involved is a hallmark of hallmark and one that I'm particularly passionate about as someone that's grown up in the church is because I think too many Christians think that showing up means that they are in community. But what we don't realize is that proximity does not equal community. Just being physically close to somebody does not mean that we are living in community with those people. And the culture that we want to cultivate here at Hallmark is not a culture of a lot of passengers, of a lot of people who are loosely associated but get bothered if you get too close. If you get too personal, then we don't like that. But instead, we want a culture that is personally 
involved, that values the type of community where there is depth, where there is vulnerability without fear, where there is authenticity, so that we can all together be transformed and be made more like Christ. And so as we prepare to get into this topic, just a quick zoom out is why, why do Christians talk about community so much? Why do we care about this? Why is this, no matter what culture you go to or time period in history, have Christians always put some type of value on community together? We have to understand that it is God's design. Because as a trinity, God has never himself been isolated or alone. He has always been in communion with himself, and he created us as people in his image to live in communion with him and with one another. That's the foundational root behind the whole idea of community. As you and I were designed, we were created not to live in isolation, not to live the Christian life on our own, but to walk through life together. And that is the way God has designed us to be. And so when we choose to go outside of that design, God can still bless, God can still use us, but we are missing out on the full experience that God has created us to have. And in the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts, gives us a picture of what it looks like to belong to a community together. And there are so many passages that we could pick to go through to talk about and draw different truths about being personally involved in. But today, in Acts chapter 6, we'll see that when we are personally involved, God's kingdom grows. When you choose to be personally involved in the lives of other believers, of other church members, God's kingdom will grow. So let's start off in Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Lord, I thank you for the reading of your word, and I pray that as we go over the book of Acts this morning, this chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, we talk about being personally involved, that you would teach us what you want us to learn, and not only to learn, but also to apply it. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. So verse 1 kind of sets the whole stage for our passage today where first we see conflict in the community. Now, to get more background, you you should go back and read Acts chapter 2 and 4, which Pastor Carlos will be preaching on uh, next Sunday. So make sure you read those uh, verses, those chapters this week, which you will if you're following along with our 2024 reading plan. You'll read those on Saturday. But the community of believers, they have been taking care of one another. They are meeting the financial needs and the physical needs of those who are struggling in their congregation. They were even going so far as to sell their personal belongings to help meet those needs of other people. And that included the distribution of food. And so it's amazing. As you read Acts 2 and 4, it's a very inspiring part of Scripture to see how the first church is coming together, serving one another, loving one another. And so it's all good in the first church 
until it isn't, until we come to verse 1, and we see that this conflict begins to take place. And so the early church is going through some growing pains. More and more people are becoming followers of Jesus. Verse 1 starts off that when the disciples were increasing in number, which is kind of an understatement. See, in Acts chapter 1, the congregation is 120 people. In Acts chapter 2, it explodes to over 3,000. In Acts chapter 5, it grows even more to over 5,000. So this church is experiencing some crazy, crazy growth, which is good. But with growth comes new opportunities for either unity or division. Even though God is clearly moving, we now have this conflict arise that has the potential to kind of derail all of the positive momentum that has been taking place. People are getting saved. People are becoming a part of this church family. And there's so many people being added that now it's causing them to have growing pains. You know, part of what it means to be personally involved in the lives of church members is that we have to learn how to deal with conflict. So many people, I feel, are shocked and surprised when they attend a church and they find out that there's other sinful people there and something happens and they're offended. Right? Typically, we'll try out a new church. Things are going well for a while. But if you stick around long enough, someday it'll happen. Hurt feelings. Someone looks at you the wrong way. Someone cuts you off in traffic on the way to church. You get out of the car and they're right there, <laughs> right, right next to you. Um, or someone just says or does something that they should not do as a Christian to you. And it's offensive and it's hurtful. We should not be shocked or surprised by that. The very first church had conflict. And I don't know what the last church that ever will be is, but I'm, I can make a confident prediction that they will also have conflict. We as human beings, even as disciples of Jesus, will have conflict until Christ returns. So the question we need to ask ourselves is not, will I experience conflict among this group of other sinful Jesus followers, but rather as a biblically driven church, how does the Bible teach me to respond? How does the Bible teach us to respond when we do encounter hurt feelings or conflict within the church or things that aren't as they should be? And how do I stay personally involved even though I've been hurt, even though I've been offended? And there are, again, a ton of great passages in the New Testament, both from Jesus and from Paul, that kind of walk us through what the different processes for reconciliation would be. But to sum it all up, the whole idea that we see in Scripture is that disciples of Christ don't run away when things get difficult. When we as a family encounter interpersonal conflict, we lean in, we love each other, we address the issue, we don't ignore it, but we work through the problem together in a way that honors the Lord. Because everyone in this room has experienced and will experience conflict. The question is how do we as a community deal with it? It's with love with grace and with courage. And so let's look back now at the passage and get into that, the actual problem that this first church was facing. It was a complaint by the Hellenists that arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So we have two uh, parties here. We have this, a huge influx of people that are coming into this church. And now there's two ethnic groups that are at play. And so first are the Hebrews which these are the ones that we are used to reading about in the Bible and the Old Testament. They're the OG Jewish people, okay? There's nothing new to explain about them. David, Solomon, all of them, these are all of the Hebrew people. But now you have this other group called the Hellenists. Uh, they were Jewish, 
but they were from all over the Roman Empire, and they had a Greek ethnic background. And so they would oftentimes, they would speak Greek, whereas the Hebrews would speak Aramaic. They had separate synagogues, and so in their synagogues, they would read the Greek Old Testament, called the Septuagint, whereas the Hebrews, in their synagogue, they would read the Hebrew Old Testament. Um, And they had a lot of different ethnic diversity that was much more diverse than what the strict Hebrew synagogue would have. And so you have, traditionally, the, the Hebrews kind of looked down on the Hellenistic Jews because they were not as pure, not as original as they were, right? And so you have all of this kind of racial and ethnic dynamic at play, even just among the Jewish community, before they become believers. But then after they become Christians, they're, they're put into one church together, and there's opportunity there for conflict. Oftentimes when we have differences, whatever those differences are, there's an opportunity for, for two things. In a healthy community that's driven by the word of God, our differences are an opportunity for multiplication. God wants to take the differences that you and I have, that each of us have, and use that to reach more people with the gospel. Use that to make us a better representation of his kingdom. But the flip side is where there is pride, where there is sin, those differences are an opportunity for division, right? We have to be with people that are exactly like us and have the exact same preferences, and we never see God's kingdom expanding through those opportunities. And so in our culture today, there's plenty of opportunities for either multiplication or division, right? We have ethnic differences, we have gender differences, we have generational differences, political differences. There's so many differences that abound in our culture today that are either an opportunity for us as a church to multiply or an opportunity for us to divide. And as we kind of go out in our culture, we're always told that we should value unity, but it feels like every day we're being asked to be pitted against yet another group that we should be against. Yet another group that is our enemies or we should be enemies of this group. There's constant, constant division. And that may be what it's like out there in the world, but in here, in God's house, where we understand that we are all sinful people saved by God's grace, that God has brought each of us here for a purpose and for a reason, when we are personally involved with one another, we have opportunities to multiply God's kingdom here in Fort Worth instead of being divided over things that fundamentally will not matter. It's because we understand that when we are personally involved, God's kingdom grows. So then secondly, we'll see the call to serve the community. So we have this problem. We have this issue where the, where the Hellenistic widows, it seems like that they are being consistently overlooked, consistently neglected uh, by this food distribution program. And so there is some type of favoritism that's going on. It's not right. And so now the early church is going to have to address it. So verse 2, and the, 12, and, and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So the 12, that's the 12 apostles, and they make clear that their priority of them as leaders of the church in verse 2 is the preaching of the word of God, preaching the Bible. And then in verse 4, they also say prayer. So in the midst of all of the growth, all the new opportunities that they had, all the things that were happening in this first ever church, again, going from 120 to 3,000 to 5,000 to more, the 12 apostles as, as the first leaders of this first church said our fundamental responsibility as the spiritual leaders of this congregation, is to walk people through the word of God and to pray. And that's why for our church, our first core value is always going to be biblically driven. 
I so appreciate that that's Pastor John's heart, that that's Ben Hallmark's heart for so many years, and that is the driving force for everything. But if they're going to be the ones focused on that, then who are going to be the ones to help address this particular need? Look at verse 3. They say, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the apostles say that the community of believers, the disciples, must make this choice. They have to pick seven men or however many men from among them to help lead them through this issue. And so this word disciple that you see here in Scripture, it's the first time that we see that word disciple used in the book of Acts. Now who is a disciple of Jesus? It's anyone that is a believer, anyone that is a follower of Christ. That word disciple has the idea of a learner, someone who's more of an apprentice, right? We have the original 12 disciples that became the 12 apostles, and now you have everyone else, they are disciples. And, and the apostles say to them, hey, choose out from among you some godly men who can help lead this situation. And this kind of brings out a, a principle that we see throughout Scripture and that Paul will later expound on in Ephesians. Um, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Then down to verse 16, From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the saints have to get equipped. Again, who's a disciple? Who's a saint? Anyone that is a follower of Jesus. And so what is the role for you as a follower of Jesus? It is for you to be equipped for what? For the work of the ministry. Oftentimes we kind of fall into the trap of thinking that, well, it's the pastor's job, it's Pastor John's job, it's the staff's job to do ministry, and it's our job to kind of participate or kind of watch. But in Scripture, what we see is that the, the job description given in the Bible for those who are leaders of the church is to equip you, to equip the saints, all the saints, for the work of the ministry. So are you a follower of Jesus? If you are, that means that you need to be equipped for the work of the ministry. And what happens when the disciples are equipped and working? Paul says that the body grows, and we'll see that here in Acts as well. So not for us to simply do the ministry, but to equip you for the work of the ministry. So how do we equip you here at Hallmark? Well, we have what we call our discipleship pathway. So maybe you've seen this before, maybe you haven't. There's kind of three stages to this pathway. And if it's kind of hard to read, you can look at it on our discipleship page on our website and kind of give you some more details there also. But it starts off with the crowd. Uh, that's just with you attending on Sundays, attending events. That's where most people will start out, right there in the crowd, kind of checking us out, visiting, attending a service. But as you stay on the pathway, you'll then move to the community. And that's when you become a member of Hallmark. That's when you will get involved in a connect group. Which, side note, um, today is my wife and I's seventh wedding anniversary. And thank you, thank you. Happy anniversary. We actually met uh, at, during a connect group event for the young adults back in 2015. So shout out to the young adult connect group. But back to this. Um, so, the, so the second stage of our pathway is to join a community. And that really pushes you into being in a connect group. 
And the connect groups are kind of the seedbed for us for understanding and living out what it means to be personally involved, to live in community with other people. And then the natural progression of that is to move from the community to the core. And the core involves our discipleship groups, our regeneration, and our serving teams. Each of these groups has a role to play in your formation as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus. And a quick rundown through each of those are discipleship groups. Those are groups of three to five people that meet every single week for a period of accelerated spiritual growth. Um, our regeneration groups, those are, if you're struggling with, struggling with any type of habit or hurt or hang up that's kind of been a barrier for your walk with Jesus, we meet right here every Wednesday night at 6.30. It's open for anyone to come. And of course, our serving teams. There's plenty of opportunities. We have nine serving teams that you can go on our website right now and sign up for and, and read about. So that's kind of where we want you to go as far as how we help equip you at each stage, right? If you're a part of the crowd, you're getting some level of, a, of getting equipped just by hearing the, the messages every Sunday. But we don't want you to stop there. We want you to move into community with your connect groups and then go from there into the core through some of our serving teams and discipleship or regen. And so again, if you want to sign up for any of these things, find out more about these things, you can go to our website. Uh, if you hover over the next steps uh, menu button there, uh, you'll see all of these things kind of laid out for you there also. So at each stage of this pathway, we want you to be equipped. That's our job. That's our role. That's what we want to make sure happens, that no one who is uh, faithful to be at Hallmark and take part in what Hallmark offers walks away unequipped to do the work of the ministry in their home, in this church, and in their community. That's our role. That's our job. And that's what we want for all of you. So as we see this happen... Uh, let's kind of keep reading through what's happening here in the book of Acts, chapter 6, and let's jump down to verse 5. How do they resolve this conflict? And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas. These names are killing me. And in verse 6, these, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So these seven men that are chosen, these are guys that are just a part of the congregation. These are guys that are in the crowd. They're not apostles. They're not pastors. As far as we know, up until this point, they've had no particular special role. But they have been faithful, and they are called out to serve. I've seen a lot of um, Christians over the years and church members that don't get involved at one level or another in serving or in discipleship or the work of the ministry for lots of various reasons, but I, th I think a lot of the people that I've seen that I know would be good at like the ministry, that I know would be good at serving, that I know could really bring a lot of value to the rest of the body, that choose to stay back, they, they do so because they've believed one or more myths. I like the way Larry Osborne writes it out in his book, Sticky Church. He says there's, there's three myths to kind of keep people from really taking that next step of service. The first one is the holy man myth. And he writes that the holy man myth, it's the idea that pastors somehow have a more direct line to God. It cripples a church because it overburdens pastors and underutilizes the gifts and anointing of everyone else. It mistakenly equates leadership gifts with spiritual superiority. When Jesus gave us the Great Commission, when he said, go and make disciples, that was not just to pastors or teachers or church staff. He gave that commission to you. 
If you are a follower of, of Jesus, that is your commission. And the first place that that takes place is in the local church. That's myth number one. Myth number two is the ministry myth. It says, I am not ready to be used by God because of my past sins, because of my introverted personality, or because I don't read the Bible enough or pray enough or know enough. I am not ready for ministry. Here's a little secret. All of us have past sins. All of our personalities are a little bit off. None of us read the Bible exactly how we should all year round. None of us pray exactly as we should all year round. None of us will ever feel ready for ministry. Right? Most of the time, when I'm asked to preach, I don't feel worthy, prepared, ready, wherever that may be. None of us will feel ready. But the truth of the matter is that if you are a follower of Jesus, he has called you to serve in some capacity, in some way. God did not save us to fundamentally be people that just sit in a pew forever. He saved us to be personally involved and serve one another. Don't believe the lie that you are not whatever enough because the truth is none of us are enough. The only reason that why we, any of us can do any type of ministry is because of the grace of God. I'm not up here because I'm better than you, smarter than you, more spiritual than you, right? This is just where God has placed me. But God has you here also for a reason, for a purpose. That's why God calls us a family, why he calls us a body, because we cannot function without each other. And the final myth is the maturity myth. This suggests that in order for someone to minister, they must reach full Christian maturity, whatever that means. This paralyzes most believers into thinking that they are never equipped for the ministry. They need another class, they need another Bible study, another seminar, they need another degree on the wall, and they're fearful that someone might ask them a question that they cannot answer, and so they never actually participate in ministry. So maybe some of those, maybe all of those kind of resonated with you, like, man, I'm not a pastor, or I'm not good enough, or I don't know enough. Those are myths that we don't see in Scripture. Yes, of course, there's qualifications for pastors and deacons in, in the Bible, but there are no qualifications for what it takes to love one another, to serve one another, to be a part of a local church. The beauty of discipleship is not that you have all of the answers, but it's simply are you willing to help the person that is one or two steps behind you and come alongside of them and help them follow Jesus? That's what discipleship is. Think about the 12 apostles when Jesus first called them. Were they ready? Were they holy men? Did they have ministry degrees? Were they sinless people? Were they spiritually mature? No, and God chooses them to be the, the first people to take the gospel to other people, right? That is the model that we see in Scripture. One interesting thing to note about the seven men that are chosen here, and we know this from their names, is that not only are they hard to pronounce, but all seven names are Greek. All seven names are Hellenistic. So the, the seven men that are chosen to lead this ministry are from the offended party. Just really a nice, subtle, graceful way that the early church chooses to kind of help address this issue. I say, hey, this is the offended party. We're going to give them a little more control, a little more ownership, and call them and ask them to be the ones that make sure that that doesn't happen again. And that kind of leads us again to think about what we'll be doing here in a couple of weeks as part of our Vision Sunday here at Hallmark. We'll be able to participate in something pretty similar. 
Um, in addition to our staff, in case you don't know, Hallmark has a board of about 23 men as deacons, trustees, and treasurers that uh, help lead and guide this church. And every year, about a third of them go on rotation off, and we have the opportunity to elect uh, new officers to take their place. And so in two weeks, that will be taking place. If you are a member, it will be taking place in our connect groups in two weeks. And so be praying about that, and you'll be getting a little sheet with all their information here shortly. And you can be praying over that and be praying that God chooses the next men for our congregation wisely. Uh, but this picture of calling people out of the congregation to lead and to serve is rooted in kind of what we see here in Acts and throughout the rest of the New Testament. And so this whole idea of, of being personally involved, of being a biblical community is really hard to miss as you walk through Acts, as you read through the church dynamics throughout the New Testament. Um, and one of the things that you see over and over and over again is going to be this phrase, one another. In the New Testament, there are about 60 one another passages in Scripture. I'm not going to walk through all, all of those for you here, but God really is calling us to love one another and to serve one another. And as you read through all of those statements, you really realize that the full scope of all of these one another passages that God gives us as church members, they cannot be lived out in a 45-minute church service where you're sitting in a pew next to somebody. Right? That is not God's design. Like, Just listen to some of these one another's. Again, there's just a few. It says, live in harmony. Build up one another, care for one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, be patient with one another, speak the truth in love, and the most common one that you'll find is love one another. And when God says love one another, he doesn't mean that you sit next to someone in a pew, look at them and say, hey, love you, bro. When he says love one another, he says serve, do, take action. That's what love is in Scripture is a feeling, sure, but it leads to action. And so when you see all of the one another's in the Bible, you have to ask yourself, man, is this, am I supposed to live all of this out just within the confines of a, of a 45 minute, one hour, one and, a half, like one and a half hour service on Sunday morning? And the answer to that is no. When you look at the early church, they met together regularly. They spent time together. They were with each other. They were very personally involved. And I understand all of us in here are busy. All of us in here have things going on. But we have to understand that this is God's design for you, and his design for you is good. It is for your benefit. It is for the benefit of others. And this is how he wants us to live as believers. It will be countercultural. It will be hard to do in our American way of life, but it is something that we need to strive for, fight for, and continually try to make more of the forefront of how we live as believers. Because when we are personally involved, God's kingdom grows. You know, oftentimes it's the irony of, you know, we're, we're praying, you know, God, you know, give me community. God, show me uh, who you want me to disciple. And we're praying these prayers, which are good prayers. And then we come and sit next to 400 people that God has given us as part of a local church body. And God's like, hey, I've given you the people. You just need to take a step of faith. Maybe talk to someone you don't know. Maybe reach out and really make it happen. And that's what we see happen here in verse 7, is whenever these disciples, whenever they take this issue and they address it and they handle it in the proper biblical way, we see that there is growth in the community. Look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. 
Remember what we said earlier was that wherever there are differences, there is opportunity for either God to multiply or for Satan to divide. And here, because they had the right kind of community where they were personally involved, because they handled it well, instead of dividing them, God takes their differences and he continues to multiply them. More disciples are made, more people are brought from death to life, and that is God's priority, then and now. Right? God wants us, no matter what age we're in, no matter what country we're in, no matter what our culture is like, he wants us to multiply. He wants us to make disciples. He wants us to share the gospel. And that's really hard to do when we are in conflict with one another. We understand, though, that our differences are an opportunity for multiplication. We understand that there is value in being personally involved. That's when we will begin to see God continue to move and God continue to bless. Our core value of being personally involved moves us from being passive consumers that are in a pew to active participants in people's lives. And so as as the worship team comes up, I think for us as Hallmark members, I think our next step is clear. Hopefully you have there, either in your seat or you've been carrying it with you last couple weeks, your trust challenge card. You probably have there, we have three options there for you. Join a connect group, sign up to serve, volunteer to serve. Plus we have the other groups we talked about this morning, right? Discipleship or regeneration. Let me encourage you, if you're not in a connect group, take the next few weeks, visit a few different ones, pick one, get plugged in, be personally involved. If you need help finding one, talk to me, talk to any of our connection team members. We can show you where and when our connect groups meet. If you are in a connect group, but you haven't been engaged, uh, you don't open up during group time, you don't take the initiative to get to know other people, Maybe the answer is not finding a new group or a new church, but simply a new approach. Don't passively wait for someone to be personally involved with you. You trust God. You take the step of faith. You take that risk of being personally involved in someone else's life. It will be messy. It will be difficult. It will be awkward at times. But I'm telling you that it's worth it. Because that is God's design for us. If you want to go deeper uh, and grow in your faith, I encourage you to start a discipleship group. We have a training coming up on February 3rd. Anyone can come. I would encourage you to come and attend that training with us. Uh, You might not know it, but Pastor John has been preparing you to be a part of a discipleship group with this trust journal. That here, journal method is a large part of what happens during a discipleship group. So if you've been reading that journal, if you've been writing in it, you're halfway there. I would encourage you, just, encourage you just, just to come to our training on February 3rd. If you have an addiction, a hurt, a habit, or something that is keeping you from having a closer walk with God, I would encourage you again to come here on, on Wednesday nights at 6.30. It's open for anybody to come to attend, re, to, to attend Regeneration. Also, if you are stuck in your comfort zone, I would encourage you to serve. Again, you'll see this in a couple of weeks during our our Vision Sunday, Uh, but our Hallmark Kids Ministry is the fastest growing ministry of Hallmark numerically, and we need the volunteers to keep up with that. We have that plus eight other opportunities to serve. So again, go online, look at the opportunities, sign up, see where God wants to use you. The whole goal of this is not just so that you you can help Hallmark and help Hallmark do well. This is for you. 
This is for your spiritual benefit. This is God's design for you. This is what God saved you to do. And we simply want to come alongside of you and help equip you to do that. And so uh, this type of community where there is vulnerability, authenticity, depth, where this is going to take time. This is going to take risk. This, is, this, this will take trust on our part. Trust that God's plan is better. Trust that God's way is more important than my personality or my preferences. Trust that when I do this, God will bless. This will take a step of faith. And so I encourage you during the invitation, if that's you, if you know maybe that God has been asking you to do something and you've just been putting it off, you've been saying no, I would encourage you to surrender that to him today. And for the rest of you, we've been talking about a lot this morning about being a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And if you sit there wondering not knowing if you even are truly a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ. Just like we saw in Acts where God was adding people to his family daily, God is still doing that today. I believe that God has you here on purpose, for a purpose, and God's offer of salvation still stands. So if you would bow your heads with me, every head bowed, every eye closed. Pastor John always walks us through Three easy steps to understanding and the gospel, and that's A, B, C. A is admit. Admit that you are a sinner. Admit that you cannot save yourself. Admit that you are not good enough to enter into God's presence on your own. Admit that you need Christ. B is believe. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Son of God, that he was crucified for your sins and my sins. He was buried On the third day, he rose again. And see, confess. Confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, he's the owner, he's the master of your life. The Bible promises that if you come to God with with a humble heart, with a heart that is repentant, that God will hear you. He will forgive you. He will not turn you away. It does not matter your past. It does not matter your sins. It does not matter your struggles. God says that you are welcome to come to him and he will welcome you with open, loving arms. And so this morning, if that is you, if you say, Nathan, I'm not sure if I am a Christian, but I want to be sure or I know that I'm not, but today I I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm gonna just ask you to just raise your hand. Just slip up your hand or if you're online, you, you can leave a comment and we'll get back to you. And just let us know that, hey, I want to be a follower of Christ. I want to be someone that identifies as a true follower of Jesus. Not just someone that has the label of Christian, but someone that genuinely loves God with all my heart. So again, if if you raise your hand, I would encourage you to come and speak to me uh, during the invitation. I would love to talk more with you and walk you through what the Bible teaches. But if you're a member, I would encourage you right now during the invitation as well just to ask God, what is it that you want from me? What is my next step as we worship together?